When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is a wonderful celebration of Jesus coming into the capital, Jerusalem, celebrating with throngs of people rushing to him, crying out, singing Hosanna, celebrating that he is coming into the city. Obviously, they're excited and there's a sense and a ring of celebration as he comes. But not everyone knows who he is. So people began to ask, who is this? Why the parade? The crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Some don't even know what that means. They don't know why so many would gather and celebrate. But Matthew's already told us that he's fulfilling the prophecy of being king of Israel or king of the Jews. Matthew's told us several chapters earlier in his gospel as Jesus is talking with his disciples. And one of them says, you are the Messiah. So we know what Matthew's thinking. We don't know what everyone in the crowd is thinking. But at least there's a large crowd gathering, supporting what they believe Jesus is all about as he rides into the city on this donkey. But the tone changes dramatically before we finish the reading, after all the celebration, after waving all the palm branches, after everyone gathering together and following him in this royal procession into the city, Jesus goes to the temple, presumably to worship. But things become much more chaotic once he arrives. Matthew describes it to us in verse 12. Then Jesus entered the temple. And drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Can you imagine a scene in your church? If while people were gathering for worship, someone came in and started turning over tables, throwing people out, bursting with voice and with vigor through the hallway, saying, this is wrong, get out of here, and flipping over tables and chairs. 
I mean, it would be disruptive, right? It would be totally confusing to everyday worshipers coming. But this is what Matthew tells us Jesus does. When he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and creates this scene of chaos. Obviously, he is very upset. There could be several reasons for that. I want to focus just on one of the reasons I think he's upset as we talk about this text today. I think Jesus sees that those who are in charge at the temple have gotten so into the buying and selling of doves and such that they're fulfilling this ritual of sacrifice for worship, but they've become more focused on the business transaction and apparently collecting money from people than ushering people into the presence of God and into times of worship and spiritual nurture and nourishment and renewal. I think Jesus is so angry at those who are at the tables because they have lost their spiritual focus. He seems to think they've turned this whole thing into a business transaction and that they're missing the main point of coming to grow closer to God, of moving into the temple space, into a holy worship space to open oneself to God and God's love. Jesus seems to be saying that what's important here is connecting with God through worship, not as a business activity, rather as a spiritual activity, as a time to open yourself to God, to look for God to help you grow spiritually, to draw nearer to God and sense the presence of God in your own life. I think there's a parallel here in terms of comparing the difference between giving our money in worship and giving our life. If you've watched and participated in worship here or come to worship here, for very long, you know that I think giving is important, that it's a part of our faith commitment, that giving a portion of what we have back to God for God's work in the world is a really important thing to do. I think it's part of our discipleship and our growing in faith and our deepening commitment and our deepening relationship with God. If we are giving, it's not drawing us more into the work of God. If it doesn't feel like it's growing us in terms of disciples of Jesus, then something is wrong. Paul addresses this when he writes the disciples at Corinth. He says, you know, people could give everything, but if they do it without love, they're on the wrong path. He suggests that a person can give all their possessions, but if you do it without love... Then he says, we have gained nothing. We have gained nothing. We're on the wrong track. We don't understand what Christian giving or faithful giving is all about. Years ago, I met an amazing Christian man by the name of Dave Wetzler. He was doing a training and some programming for a healthy, growing, healthy churches called Natural Church Development. But during the three days of training, he told his personal story of why he traveled across the country and spent most of the year on the road working with people in terms of what's going on at their local church and how they could help them be healthier Christians and healthier churches and more vital places of witness. As he told his story, he said it all started, in a sense, on one Sunday morning. 
He said, now I'm a lifelong Christian, gone to church all my life. This was very routine for me. I went into my church that Sunday morning. Everything was normal. We got to the sermon and the preacher announced that he was going to be talking about stewardship. And Dave said, frankly, I thought, I bet I could preach this when I've heard this a hundred times. He said, I was so skeptical that morning, I even thought I should have just stayed home and stayed in bed. This will be such a repetitive thing for me. But then he said something changed. To his surprise, his pastor took him deeper when he was talking about stewardship and generosity than he had imagined. He said what the pastor did that day was begin by talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how we begin at the base and then move up through these different levels. Not everyone makes it through all the levels. Of course, Maslow was talking about physical needs at the base and then needs of safety and then belonging and then self-esteem. And at the tip, Maslow has self-actualization or coming to a point where you feel like you're fulfilling your purpose in life. But the pastor took it in a little different direction. He wanted to use that idea of different levels, but he wanted to talk about generosity and giving and motivation. He called his the generous living pyramid. He began to talk about what motivates a person to give. He said the first level of the pyramid, people give based on self-interest. It's sort of tit for tat. It really is an exchange. I'll give you something because I know you're going to give me something back. Perhaps just a good feeling, but yet I'm giving to make sure I receive something. The pastor said lots of generous people, lots of people give in this way, but that really has nothing to do with faith. It's an exchange. It really is kind of a business transaction. He said the faith begins to come into play at the second level. He said at this level, level we give based on a sense of spiritual gratitude. We recognize that God is alive in our lives and has blessed us, and we want to give back. We want to respond. And so we give out of that sense of gratitude. The psalmists talk about this fairly often. When they talk about the majesty of God and the blessings of God and often then ask the question, Oh God, what do you want or what might I give back to you, Lord, to repay you for your generosity, for your many blessings that you've poured into my life? Many of us have felt that God has blessed us and we've given back out of gratitude. Yet the pastor said there's another level, the third level, has to do with spiritual obedience. Has to do with sensing that God is working in your life and calling you to something more and you're responsive to that or you're obedient to that call. Paul talks about it in his letters to early Christians and says this kind of giving is a part of our spiritual worship, that it's connected to our lives of faith. And when we respond to God and bring ourselves to worship, that we also bring a gift. We're responding to God's initiative and God's love in our life by being obedient or responsive but it goes beyond just what we want at that point we begin to look to God's perspective and see more of God's perspective begin to ask what does God want in my life 
Often when we're talking about giving, we talk about giving a tenth of our income or tithing. Sometimes we talk about sacrificial giving or stretching ourselves to give beyond what we're comfortable with. Sometimes stretching beyond what we think we might be able to do or what we've done before, trusting God to provide for us as we take that step in faith, trusting that God is at work in this whole thing. I think a lot of us gave that that way last year during the pandemic the pandemic struck the virus was spreading businesses were closing down people were losing their jobs and yet what we found here at boston avenue is almost all of our people continued to give faithfully i think they were giving out of that sense of faith commitment and spiritual worship to god i think they saw their giving as a part of their ongoing faith that even though we were dispersed in terms of worship They knew that God was at work, and they wanted to continue to be a part of that. Dave Wetzler said he was listening that day, and he was expecting this idea of tithing or maybe sacrificial giving to be at the pinnacle of the triangle. But the pastor was only on level three. He had already announced there's going to be five levels. Dave said, I don't know where we're going from here. He said the pastor went on to talk about the fourth level. The fourth level is called spiritual vision. You begin to turn your life over to God all the more, recognizing and asking for God to lead you. And it's that step of obedience and worship we talked about at the third level, but even a keener sense of offering yourself to God and letting God lead you he said the pastor began to talk about the passage out of matthew chapter 6 where jesus is talking about where your treasure is and whether or not it's on earth or in heaven and if it's only on earth it can be consumed and stolen disappear jesus recommends storing up treasures in heaven getting your life aligned with god's life dave said on that particular sunday morning He had already done some training and work with the natural church development people. They had started in Europe. They wanted to move to North America. They'd ask him if maybe he would be their business partner and organize their training here and be their publisher. He began to think maybe this spirit was at work. Maybe this was a spiritual vision he was receiving. He said he asked in his heart, God, is this a spiritual vision you're giving me? And he felt like the answer was yes. But he said in his mind, he said, but Lord, you know, I don't have the money to invest that they're asking. And he felt like God prompted and responded by saying, you could mortgage your house. He said, well, even if I mortgage my house, you know, I have a full time job, Lord. There's no way I have time to do all this work. And he said he felt like God said to him, you could quit your job. Dave says, man, this was getting crazy. Mortgage his house, give up his job, completely change his way of life. He couldn't really imagine it. And yet he felt like it was God speaking to him. He said as he was in that moment praying about that, having that conversation with God, tears began to run down his face. He said it was because of the feeling and the discernment that was going on. He said he felt like God was speaking to him 
even though he had been a lifelong Christian, speaking to him in a way he had never experienced in his life before. He said, now, I missed part of the sermon because as that conversation was going on with God, I completely lost what the preacher is saying. That's happened to most of us during a sermon where we stray and we begin to think about something about ourselves or one part speaks to us. That's sort of what had happened to Dave. He said when he tuned back in, the preacher was talking about that passage out of the Gospels where Jesus says those who would save their life will lose it, but those who will lose their life for my sake will find it. He said the tears continued to flow. He continued to sense this calling of God, and yet it was overwhelming. And he says as he tuned back in, he realized there's still one more level to go. There's something else. There's something more the preacher thinks God has in mind for us. The preacher said the fifth level, you begin to approach or experience what he called spiritual maturity. It comes from a theological perspective where you recognize that God has created you and loves you and has blessed you. And it's actually God who has given you everything you have. You recognize it's all God's. And if you have that perspective, then nothing asked of us from God is too much. Think about what that perspective means to begin to believe that nothing asked of us from God is too much. It can be overwhelming as Dave was experiencing that morning. But those last two levels of this generous living pyramid are the bridge from us being in control and making choices and allowing God to be in control, from moving from doing faith as a business activity to doing faith in a way that we're open to God's transforming spirit in our lives. The Gospels say that God has sent Jesus to our world to reveal to us this grace and love that God pours out upon us, this blessing that God has in store for us and reveals to us the way to respond to that. Certainly the text we read during Lent lead us down this path. The text we'll be reading from the Bible during Holy Week this week show us this way of life, this life who's willing to give all to follow God's prompting or God's leading in our life. How about you? Where are you on the pyramid? Are you still doing faith as a transaction or are you opening yourselves to God's spiritual transformation? The passage ends with Jesus talking about prayer. It's a great place to land, making this discernment as Dave did a matter of prayer, walking through this Holy Week, looking to grow in our relationship with God. How about you? What will you do? Jesus has entered the temple, turned over the tables. Everyone is stunned. And now it's time for us to respond. Amen. And thanks be to God.